0: Mac Power Users, episode 212, Networking. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in I- there. I am needing this show tonight.
1: Okay. Well, I guess we should just introduce our guest and get started with it.
0: Yeah, coming back for at least your second, maybe your third or fourth appearance. I should have been prepped better for this. I think it's
1: your second. I think it's just Bradley's second, isn't
0: it? Oh, we'll have
1: to... It's my second.
0: On uh, Mac Power Users. Well, it's uh, Bradley Chambers. So welcome.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you've been uh, busy. I know we had you on to talk about photo management. And, uh,
1: yeah, it was in January and and we could really go back there. Couldn't we, Bradley? Yeah, we're we're (laughs) going to go back.
0: We're going to go back to that again next year after Apple releases, uh, their solution. The
1: photo management, uh,
2: book is one of those books that just keeps on giving because there's always, there's always changes. And even just this past week with Dropbox's pricing change, I feel like I need to update the book again. But I think I'm just going to kind of let it sit until we get uh, photos in the cloud you know, out and yeah. up and running. And yeah. see exactly. how it Everybody's happens.
1: waiting to see if they can uh, deliver on photos in the cloud. And if they do, that may make it a lot easier for people. I guess we'll see, though.
2: Well, yeah. you, I mean, we were out to dinner with some friends the other night, and they were just even asking me, like, you know, their photos are a mess. They, they're spread across three devices. And I just sent them a copy of my, of my book and said, "I'm. we as the tech community have failed you. This is all we have at this point. Um, so I I hope we can get to a place where I can just edit the book and say, turn on iCloud photos and
1: the end. Yeah. But, but that's not why we're here today.
0: So of course the book that you're referencing is, uh, learning to love photo management, which who doesn't love managing their photos. But, but as David said, that's, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about another subject that everybody loves. And in fact, we've already had trouble with it tonight and that is networking.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is one of those, uh, you know you kind of talk about the plumbing in your house no one really cares about the pipes they just care about when you turn the faucet on that water comes out but there's a lot of technology in in the plumbing and there's a lot of uh, ways you can get tripped up there's a lot of you know, buying decisions you can make that can set yourself up better for the future you know because let's be real how how often do we buy this stuff I mean certainly we don't wire our our houses very often but how many people buy routers every other year you know not many
0: yeah and I'm thinking maybe I should. But I... I I am so glad that we are talking about this show now because networking has just been this problem for me recently. In fact, our listeners may have heard it. Uh, the last episode of Mac Power Users in particular was bad. The last couple have been bad, although I think we've we've edited some of that out, where I've noticed that my our Skype calls with David have just, and, and we'll see how this one holds out because I'll talk about some troubleshooting that I did a little bit later. Um, I, I've been having trouble with Skype calls and lots of lag where I'll just get out of sync with our guests to the point where I can hardly speak because we're just tripping over each other. And I'm noticing that that file transfers, particularly on Wi-Fi, um, are are just going ridiculously slow. Uh, you know, they'll burst for a while and then they'll slow down and there's no really rhyme or reason. And it's just, you know, why? Why? I, I put all this thought into setting up my network a couple of years ago. I, I, you know, I thought I was done.
1: It's always a challenge, but yeah, it's really been rough the last few episodes because, I'm getting the email saying that, hey, Dave, how come you're stepping all over Katie and blah, blah, blah. But the fact is we don't hear her until about three or four seconds after she starts talking. Yeah. And uh, and that's something that we're – it's just another networking issue. We covered networking way, way back on April of 2010, and things have changed a lot in the meantime. I and mean, we've got new standards and new options available. And in a lot of ways, things have got better. And we thought it'd be fun to go back and cover networking again because every this is something that everybody deals with in their homes and their offices. And uh, you know, since Bradley's here, uh, we thought we'd pick on Bradley a little bit because uh, Bradley, you're one of the smartest guys I know about uh, setting up these networks. And I thought we'd like to pick your brain just a little bit.
2: Yeah, that, that that'd be great. You know, this is something I deal with day to day. That I manage a, a network for a K five here in Chattanooga, and so I you know have. 300 students. I have you know, 30 to 40 staff members that I, you know, manage everything from the fiber connection coming in to actually today we troubleshooting why some users can't manage our heating and air system from their workstations. I mean, so I handle everything from the network, you know, the, the you know the end user's device all the way back to the fiber. So it's it's one of those things that. You're never fully sure of, the, you know, when you have problems, you're never like, you know, what what is this? But I think the technique that we all learn is you just have to kind of go through the troubleshooting theory Is you try to eliminate variables. So if you're having problems here, well, let's try to change this piece and change that piece. And it's, it's, it's a challenge. And it's getting even more complicated in the home because I can remember back in, you know, when I first moved out of my parents' house, uh, I guess about 10 years ago. The only reason you got a router back then was for, like, maybe one laptop. But most people still, like, were using desktops. And the only reason you had a router was just kind of as a firewall. You know, flash forward to 10 years later that, you know, you have to have a network at home. And you know, that's just – that's how
1: our lives are ran now. Yeah, and and the thing about this subject, and this is my hook for everybody listening, is number one is it's it's something that everybody needs to know a little bit about it. And there's going to be some people listening to the show who, who may have already turned off, frankly, who said – Uh, This stuff's all over my pay grade. I I don't understand the networking stuff. I call the cable guy or I call my buddy to come over when there's a problem. Um, You know what? That's not good enough. The way things are these days, you need to understand it. And this is is understandable. With a little bit of effort here on the show, you're going to understand a lot more about how they work and be able to kind of troubleshoot your own network. Then the second piece of that is the guys who think they know everything. And honestly, every time I look into the subject, I learn something new. So I think we've got something for everybody here. Um, but let's just start by talking about um, you know, where you know, where where have we gone in the last few years? Let's use that episode twenty four as a jumping point. Um, as Bradley was saying ten years ago, you got a router maybe because you needed a firewall. But you know, what's the kind of the state of the home network now for an average semi-geek?
2: I mean, for me, when I when I pull up my airport utility app. I see anywhere from 10 to 12 devices on the network right now. And we're, I don't even think we're that abnormal of a home and mainly it's Apple devices. And we've got um, Roku's, but the really kind of the one oddball device we have is the Nest thermostat. And that's probably the one that's maybe the most unique to, you know, even among us geeks. And, you know, when I look at my house and I look at my network and I think like in the next 10 years, I think I'll have more or less internet connected devices. And I really think in the next, you know, few years, I may have 20 to 25, you know, network connected devices. Like, is, is it within the realm of possibility that my next washer and dryer will have Wi-Fi in it? Probably. And you think, why would I need that? Imagine me able to check on the status of it from when you're gone or maybe be able to start it when you're gone.
1: know, I made the mistake yesterday of telling my wife that they now have a a, a pressure cooker, you know, a with a, um, a crock pot. Yeah. Yeah. They they now have a crockpot with it's Internet connected and has an iPhone app. I said, so you could turn it on when you're away from the house. And her immediate she says, well, why don't we have one yet? You know, she (laughs) I mean, she was immediately grasped the, you know, the use of that. And, you know, I think it's going to be all this stuff. I mean, the, the home security stuff is going Internet based. Your door locks. Katie, don't you have an Internet connected door lock?
0: No, but I not yet. I'm working on it. But okay. right now, right now, I have two lamps and a fan that's connected to the internet. Yeah,
1: I got so much stuff in my house. Most of the light bulbs I've got. You know, I've got the Sonos, which is kind of its own network. Um, but you know, it's crazy. And I, I, I um, accept that I'm one of these guys who can't resist this stuff. But it's going to get cheaper and easier, and pretty soon everybody's going to have a household of stuff. So,
0: but you, I will. Need ad, a, I will admit, we are edge cases. And so let's talk for a minute about the the everyday person. Even the everyday person probably has more devices than they think connected to the internet because they've probably got a laptop, they've probably got a smartphone, and I bet they have maybe a tablet and maybe at least one other kind of out there device that's connected. It, it's probably an internet connected TV because you can't buy a TV hardly right now without it being some kind of internet connected. They, they, there's probably some wild card out there So, and then when you start adding two and three and four people in a home, then you start multiplying these devices. So it's pretty easy to get up in double digits very quickly in terms of internet connected devices in your home.
1: All right. So let's keep it at the basic level for just a little bit. Um, uh, So what are the necessary components for a good network in your home?
2: Well, I think you kind of have to separate, you know, if you're going to have, external, uh, bandwidth and then internal bandwidth as well. Um, uh, you know, for most of us, when we think about you know, networking, we think of just getting on the internet yep. and, you know, like here at my house, we are very blessed to have hundred meg internet coming in and out. But I know we, you know, chatting is very unique and, and so you can have a very fast in, internal connection, but don't forget about what's coming in. So if you want to set up a really fancy internal network for file sharing and things like that, that's awesome. But then, if you go cheap with your with your cable internet and you get the cheap package, you know you're going to expect kind of some quality of service to be lost as you do things like Spotify or Beats Audio because you just won't have a fast enough connection. So don't just go get the fastest router you can get and then go cheap on your internet.
1: Yeah. So let's I, I'm I'm going to be even more you know dense on this. So there's there's two pipes that you need to be worried about. We're going to be talking about plumbing a lot in this show, I think. Um, you know, the first pipe is the internet that's coming into your house from vios or cable or some, somebody you're paying to connect the internet to your house and the speed of that pipe is going to be contingent on the amount of money you pay now bradley the fact that you have 100 up and down that's crazy to me do you want to know what i pay for it i'm not sure i no. do the way you say it 50 dollars a month oh. yeah see that's crazy i
2: could upgrade to gig i to, to a gig data. up and down for twelve dollars more a month, what? And, and you know yeah. why? Why don't you? <laughs> that's, well, that's what I want to know. You're, well, you're, the, you're
0: paying less than I am for my twenty meg package.
2: Um, well, and and I actually I don't want to I don't want to spoil it now why I'm not, but um, I have actually a very specific reason why we haven't. But at my office we have four hundred by four hundred up and down, and so uh, when I plug into Ethernet via like a Thunderbolt cable, or if I'm on an iMac at work and I do a speed test, I get like four fifty by four fifty. Wow. Um, so yeah, but I'll explain why uh, I have a very good reason for why I haven't upgraded. Uh, but I'll save that to, uh, when we talk about wireless a little bit more, okay. you know, when you were talking a little earlier about just, it's not an option to not understand this stuff anymore. You know, it's like when I'm not a big kind of construction guy, I'm somewhat handy. Like I can't do a lot of things, but when I signed up for a mortgage and bought a home, I, it was no longer an option to just thumb my hands up with it when it comes to home repairs. Like, if I want to enjoy the benefit of a home, I have to be able to fix stuff. I can't call a plumber every time a faucet you know has a little bit of a drip. Like, it's it's my responsibility as a homeowner to 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 learn that stuff. And just so like, if you want to enjoy the benefits of tablets and Apple TVs and stream other streaming boxes, like you've actually got to take the time to learn this stuff because it's not perfect.
1: And if you want to enjoy the benefits, you kind of need to learn some stuff along the way. Yeah, I agreed. And uh, so let's talk about that. So, in fact, we've been using, we've been throwing some numbers around here. A hundred up, a hundred down. If, if you're somebody out there that's not familiar with this, what are we talking about?
0: You mean when you're talking about what is up and what is down?
1: Yeah, or? yeah no. Yeah, exactly. What does a hundred up mean?
2: Well, I mean, a hundred... You know, you got your upload and your download. So I yeah. always look at it um, when you think of like downloading is if you're buying a song off iTunes. How quick can you get that song download or that movie downloaded? And then upload is, let's say you drop a file into your Dropbox folder. How quickly can it go up to Dropbox? And yeah, how, if how you, fast can, if you, can your
1: backblaze cram your data up into the cloud?
2: Well, and you look at most people's cable connection, the upload is where they're struggling. You know, they may have a 50 meg download, which is great but they only may have a five meg upload. And, you know, that's, I think, you know, a lot of people would rather to have 25 by 25 than a 50 by five, because, you know, especially in the world of Dropbox, backblaze, uh, Google drive, all these online photo services, like we need the upload just as much as we need the download.
1: Yeah. And that's very typical in residential contracts to have a, a nice high download speed and of, you know, a very, a fraction of that for your upload speed. Uh, uh occasionally you can buy uh programs that will give you the same up and the same down and and um a hundred is really quite remarkable i mean i think so Katie what are you getting at your house with your cable package
0: i i think it's twenty twenty up five down i am yeah. sorry i said that backwards twenty down five up
1: yeah so i but they pay... they're
0: scheduled to double that I think at the end of this fall, so I should be getting, but I think they're only going to double the download. So I think I'm going to get like maybe 20 and then seven. I think they'll increase the upload some bit. Yeah. But it's after taxes and all, it's like right at $62 a month.
1: Yeah. I paid, I upgraded to where I I pay quite a bit. I pay a hundred dollars a month for my internet, which is kind of stupid, but yeah, you know, with the kind of work I do, I need a solid reliable internet connection and what I get for that is I get 50 down and about 30 up. I was told I'm supposed to get like 70 and 50, but you know how it goes. <laughs> but the uh, but that's it's really great for me at that speed. I can't even imagine what it would be like at 100. So anyway, um, that's a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, so we kind of have an appreciation for the first pipe, which is the internet. Then the second set of pipes that we're going to be talking about is the way data moves around the inside of your house. And for that, um, there's there's two principal methods. There's the the copper wire, like Katie, when she built her house, she was you know wise enough to have them run the wire all throughout her house. And then there's people like me that are, have older houses, and they don't we don't have wire running through all our houses, and we largely is wireless for it.
0: Rip the ones am mi- out.
1: Am I missing anything? You know, there are, there are some other options you can
2: do. Um, you know, let's say you're in a your situation where. You want to maybe do some things that are over, you know, a wire connection, but you really don't want to go through and actually, you know, rerun wire. Uh, you can do what's called um, Ethernet over power, where you actually buy some adapters for each end and then you run the connection over your power lines. Yeah, and then um, you can run it where you actually do Ethernet over coax, where most homes, you know, built in you know the modern times, even my old house built in the 1930s, they had redone it uh, back in the 70s with coax, and so you can actually push Ethernet over that. Uh, and so those are some options if you have a, an application that requires a wire connection, but you don't want to actually want to run or can't run new wire.
1: Yeah. So and so looking at those two options a little bit, I guess we're kind of jumping around the outline a little bit, but this kind of makes sense here. Um, uh, the Ethernet, I'm sorry, the the Internet over the power line, the power line adapters, uh, the way that usually works is you get two of them. I know there's options where you can get multiples, but in my experience, it always worked best when there were just two. Um and you plug one in near your router, and then it's got an Ethernet port in it, and it plugs straight into your router. And then you plug the other one in somewhere else in the house, and it's got a, a female Ethernet port in it. And they they find each other through the electrical wires, and then they transfer data through those wires. And then you can essentially you know have a wired connection. Now, these have been around for some time. Uh, early in the Mac Power users' uh, days, I went and bought a set of them. And they didn't really work worth a damn. And uh, I ended up just, I, I took them back because it was so much slower. And then a few years later, I tried again and they were generally okay for me. Um, but they uh, they weren't as fast. My network actually runs faster over a wireless connection once I got the upgraded internet and I put a couple other things in that we'll probably talk about during the show Um, I've heard from listeners who say that these things are amazing for them. I think a lot of it depends on the way your house is wired. I suspect that if you're very near the same circuit or on the same circuit, they may be a lot faster than if it's jumping
0: among circuits. And the other thing you have to be careful of is any kind of, um, buffer between those, you know, for example, these things don't do well and sometimes don't do work work at all. Um, if you've got them plugged into surge suppression, or plugged into power strips, or plugged into extension cords, or things like that, usually direct into the wall. Yeah,
1: so. you gotta you gotta have them straight the wall. Uh, Bradley, what's your uh, what's your experience with the power line adapters? I've
2: used them once at a uh, a freelance job I was working on, and they were terrible. I ended up returning them, and we ended up you know, basically paying someone to come out and run new wire. And it, but, you know, this was a home built in the past two years, and so uh, yeah, I don't think. The if it works well in one home versus it doesn't work well in another. I don't think it's necessarily um, based on when the home was built. I think, like you said, Dave, it's just how it's how it was ran and where the the links are. Um, I, now, I have not used the Ethernet over coax, but I've I've heard that it is a lot easier to deal with than Ethernet over power. For example, like if you have the TiVo and the TiVo Mini, TiVo actually recommends you do it over the ethernet of coax you know obviously it does it does not work with wi-fi it'll work over straight ethernet but i guess they realize that most people don't have that where they do have the you know do have coax you know most places and so they kind of help you set that up um and so again i it sounds to be more stable but i don't have any experience with it um you know personally
1: Yeah, I I think it really depends, I guess, is the answer to it. If you've got a need for a connection and you don't want to be drilling holes in a wall and running cable, I think getting a good set of power line adapters and giving it a try makes sense. Uh, I think I would probably buy them from a place that you can easily return them because you're going to know very quickly.
2: Well, and like you said, there there are situations, especially with the way some of the wireless standards are, if you've got kind of a, a mid-grade power line adapter, a Wi-Fi can actually be you know, faster.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and so, but that's the really the big advantage though of using copper if you can. And maybe that maybe power line is just kind of a, a little thing that's going to go away at some point. But the if you've got wires in the wall, you, you can't beat it for a solid connection. It's not going to break down, and for for raw speed.
2: Well, and I think one of the things too, like I, we built our house last year. I've cat six to every uh, every television, and it's not that I don't have great Wi-Fi and didn't want to put my Roku's on Wi-Fi, but the way that wireless works is it's a shared medium currently, the current technology, and so look at it like there's a door, um, and every every device has to go in and out that one door, and so the more things you put on there, the more clogged that door can get. And so, you know, if I look at my streaming boxes, they're probably the things that use the most bandwidth. So I'm kind of getting them off the Wi-Fi and freeing up what they call airtime, wireless airtime for my iOS devices that are Wi-Fi only. And so that, you know, again, you can have, you know, I'm sitting here looking at um, a television. I've got a Apple Airport Extreme sitting next to a Roku, but the Roku's hardwired in. And all that's, you know, it's just keeping that Roku off of the air,
1: basically. Yeah. Well, so I guess the the moral of the story is, if you've got the ability to run copper all throughout your house, you should. If I had the ability to do it, I'd probably go crazy. I'd probably have it in the bathrooms and, well, the closets make a lot of sense because that's where you know you may want to store a computer. Um, but you know, you, in the kitchen, I mean, you, I could just see myself putting it everywhere if I had the opportunity. But but I don't. So one of the things we're going to tackle in this show is people who who don't have this this Ethernet everywhere. And what are the best, you know, wireless solutions for them?
0: Yeah. But maybe, David, before we get to the best wireless solutions and and wired versus wireless, this may be a good time to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode. So I would like to pause and take uh, say thank you to our sponsors over at MacPaw. And they've got a product that has quickly become one of my must-have go-to utilities on the Mac, and that is uh, CleanMyMac. And it is a simple yet surprisingly powerful application uh, for keeping your Mac clean and organized and free of all these files that can slow it down. Uh, one of the questions that I will very commonly be asked uh, by listeners of the show, by members of my Mac user group and other people is, you know, how do I uninstall an application? Or how do I find um, junk files that are just sitting around on my hard drive? Or I think I've installed this thing and I'm not sure, how, how can I actually get rid of it? And my answer just about all the time to all of those questions is clean my Mac. Because what it will do is it will prompt you initially when you open it, to do a scan of your hard drive, and that's pretty quick, depending on on how many files you have, but usually just a minute or so. And then it will present you with a fairly organized list of all the potential things that it can do for you. Now, probably the very first time that you run it, or the first time that you run it after installing a new OS, uh, you're going to get presented with a lot of stuff that it can clean out uh, including large files that you've potentially forgotten about Uh, it it will scan your iPhoto library and to include um, hidden and modified copies of photos that meet certain criteria so for example if maybe you've just rotated this photo um, you don't need that particular copy Um, all of the leftovers of previously removed applications, because sometimes if you just drag an application to the trash, it doesn't necessarily get rid of what you need. Um, It also has an easy-to-use app uninstaller, so you can go through, and if you know that there's a particular application that you want to install, find it and clean my Mac, click it, hit a button, and it will go out and find all of the pieces of that application on your hard drive and remove it for you. Um, and it also does things like scan to see when all of the uh, language files on your computer because uh, lots of these programs that we install include multiple localizations for different languages, and that can take up tons and tons of space, can be removed. So I only speak English. I don't need to have Japanese and Italian uh, and Chinese and all of those other localizations in my files. And it will go through and it will scan and it will offer to remove all of that information for you. But the the thing that makes CleanMyMac so great, uh, is they always put safety first and that they are not going to remove a file if it's potentially going to break a program for you, because I know that was a big problem when OS 10 first came out, uh, and clean my Mac has a comprehensive database that they've created to say, can I remove this? Can I not? Is it going to create a problem? So you can check it out, go find more information about clean my Mac at macpaw.com/cleanmymac. slash clean my Mac. Uh, I think you'll find it every bit as useful as I have, and thanks to Mac Paul for their sponsorship of the show.
1: And we've got a lot of email from from new clean my Mac users thanking us for the uh, for that spot. I
2: bought I bought the second version of the day it came out, and uh, it's one of those apps that like the the Mac nerd in me says I don't need that, but like I picked it up and I've saved. I checked, I've saved thirty four gigs since I had it, yeah. and it's more like I had a, a teacher the other day that she gave me her computer and it was getting slow and she had 500 megs free. So the first thing I did was go down clean my Mac 2, purchase a copy, uh and we got to cleaning and just not without deleting anything, I think got her back up to 10 gigs without deleting actually anything that she, you know, needed.
1: Yeah. The um let's get back to these networks. Uh so uh, wireless and wired networks are the two that people need to be familiar with. And um and I had started talking about the advantages of a wired network. Um it's faster. It doesn't break down as easily, although you can have uh, signal problems with the wired network. Um, and and I guess another one would be security.
2: Well, and, and one of the things, too, you know, all networks really start as a wired network, because, you know, when you're when you have the Internet connection come in, it's got to hit um, you generally in the home is going to hit a router, whether it be Apple's or a Netgear or Linksys. And that router is usually doing a couple things. Um First thing is, it's uh, you, know, you get a public IP address uh, from your internet provider, and it's taking that and it's actually setting it up where it can actually uh, share that among all your devices in your home. It does does that through what's called being a DHCP server, and so it's basically giving out private addresses to the devices on your network. So, like when a device tries to connect, it um, your router will hand it out at an address, and it'll also do what's called DNS, and and DNS is kind of like the phone book of the internet. Uh, and most ISPs run them. Uh, Google actually runs a public one. I really like one called OpenDNS Family Shield, which is a free service and it filters it uh, for adult content by default. We actually use their enterprise service at our at our offices uh, for our mobile laptops. Um, so that's kind of you know before you you know before you actually have an iPhone that can get on Twitter. It's got to kind of go through that DHCP and DNS process.
1: Yeah, And uh, OpenDNS, uh, Katie did a really great screencast on that. We'll have to put that in the show notes on how to set that up in your house. And it's got two advantages. Number one is it gets you off of your cable company's DNS server, which usually aren't aren't that great. And it gives you the ability to get free filtering. And the filtering is good because it's at the DNS level. It's at the Internet as the pipe comes into your house. So no matter what the kids are using to get on,
0: it's on the router level.
1: Yeah. Well, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, But it's, that's, that's really the first level. I mean, you've got the cable modem or whatever piece of technology pulls the internet in, then it goes to the router. So it it puts it there. Uh, So, but whoever is on your network, no matter what device they're using, they can get those same, you know, porn filters and whatever put in place for them. Um, now, Bradley, I, I've heard spoken by some folks that using a service like OpenDNS will slow down your download speed of some some services because they don't know where you're located at. It it depends.
2: You know that well, I think was certainly true a few years ago. Um, and we and we run them at our office. I run them at home, and I just I don't see that. And it may be dependent on where you're at. Yeah, um, and I think that's one of those things that. If you're using OpenDNS Family Shield and you're not seeing, um, you know, iTunes download speeds or Netflix speeds like you think you should, then I think you know, maybe change back to your default ones. And, and the reason this is is, you know, things like iTunes and Netflix—they don't necessarily serve up all their content from one server. They have these content delivery networks that they have spread around the country, and so depending on where they think you're at, they will kind of point you to a server, you know, that server. So if it's not working. Uh, and you're in in Georgia, it may think for whatever reason you're in California and and serve you by that server rather than one that's in North Carolina. So um, I think that's one of those things that depends on the area. So, you know, trial and error is the best thing. Um, you know, again, you know, think again, DNS is like a phone book. So you are free to try out, you know, whatever you want to try.
1: Yeah. And in my experience, like Bradley, I've seen no. I've had no problem with this. If I, I, I frequently rent movies on my Apple TV, and they start almost immediately. And I'm using Open DNS. I had a, a listener write in who said that he was getting a whole bunch of like stuttering, and it would like get halfway through the movie and it'd have to stop to download more. And I suggested he turn off Open DNS, and it fixed him up. But that was about a year and a half ago. So I think that's one of those things always in transition my uh, recommendation would be set up open DNS and, and hopefully it works for you because I I just love having that protection on our network. And, you know, if, if it does work for you, it's the way to go.
2: You know, while we're on that topic, um, this is a common question I get from parents that have their kids have iPhones and iPads. There's a really, really great, uh, family filter for the iPhone now or, and the iPad's called Kirby, uh, C U R B I. And, um, uh, they, they were actually on a podcast uh, that I do called Out of School, and we interviewed them about how it works. It's basically using VPN technology, and it allows parents from their iPhone to kind of put more granular rules on their kids' iOS devices. So they can kind of make study time, you know, play time. It's always filtered for adult content, whether it's on their Wi-Fi, their Wi-Fi at a friend's house, or even LTE. But again, it kind of gives all the control back to the parents. So if, you, if you're a parent looking for more control uh, Kirby is a service that you want. It's very, very inexpensive, um, and they are really, really smart guys. What a great you idea. Know, Apple has so come it installs a, a this long an way app on for sure in
0: their parental controls. But I've, I still think some companies, including Amazon, in their Kindle controls – have some additional options and feature that Apple hasn't put into place yet. I, that's certainly an area where Apple can improve more is in in tweaking those parental controls on iOS and on the Mac because those options are pretty limited and they haven't changed a whole lot in the last couple of versions of, of the OS.
2: No, they haven't. And then I think iOS added a uh, kind of a web filter, I guess, with iOS either iOS 6 or iOS 7, but it's way overzealous and it's really just not feasible to use day to day. Uh, So, yeah, Apple could do some some work here, but I think uh, in the meantime, um, Kirby is fantastic. And and they even said that they couldn't do this type of service until iOS 7, because iOS 7 brought in some new
1: APIs for um, VPN technology. So, yeah, really, really great service. Okay, so I I did sidetrack us a little bit. We were talking about the the benefits of a wired network. And and uh, then we kind of started talking a little bit about the components of a wired network and. There's certain of these components that are, are common to a wireless or a wired network. So the first thing you have is the, the, the cord coming into your house that's got internet pumping through it. And it depends on what type of service you have. I mean, I think the most common ones are, are probably the most common one is the cable modem. You know, the cable companies all provide internet. And I think that's the way most people get it. Um, uh, Verizon, was it what they called the, the Fios system? Uh, which is is not a cable provide. It's like a cable company. It's more like a phone provided service. I'm going to screw this up. That's why you're here, Bradley. Save me.
2: Well, it's basically um, you know, things like Verizon and what I have through a company called EPB is it's fiber. And so yeah. I don't have a modem of any kind. There's a yeah. box on the outside of the house that they call, and it's this, the acronym is ONT. Uh, it's it's um it's basically like a fancy cable modem on the outside of your house yeah. and it's just straight ethernet and so like in my house they run ethernet right into my punch panel in my closet okay. so there is no modem to deal with so yeah it's fiber is a little bit different uh, and then of course DSL comes in actually comes in over your phone line
1: yeah does, is DSL still a thing i mean i i get the yeah,
2: impression it's not thing. Yeah I mean there are certain types of DSL technology that have gotten pretty fast. Uh, I actually used to uh, work for an independent telco in Northwest Georgia and they are a, you know it's a phone company they have since moved into fiber they still offer phone and things like that. Um, but there are a lot of companies that it's just not feasible to run fiber. Um, you know one of the things about the phone industry is it was very regulated when it was being built and so basically the government funded it you know the, the uh, dense cities basically paid for, the rural cities through what's called the usf fee so if you look at your yeah. phone bill uh the usf fee paid for all that and so it's just these these smaller towns where they just had a phone company it's just not feasible in most situations to run fiber which is you know sad because internet is no longer a luxury it's really a necessity in 2014
1: are either one of you old enough to remember what it's like using dial-up yes i had prodigy i mean it was crazy and you know, it's like you would You'd find something you wanted to download or I'd get on these BBSs and play games, you know, like, um, diplomacy game. There was a couple others. And then my mom would pick up the phone, right? (laughs) Or somebody would call and you'd hear the click, click, click. And you knew you were just about to get dropped. I was terrible.
2: Well, you know, it's worth the old saying is slow internet is worse than no internet.
1: Yeah. Well, my parents had absolutely no, um, no sympathy for me. They would just break a connection. You have been trying to download something for you know a half hour, which was a long time back then. Um, but anyway, uh, so you've got these different systems to get the internet in your house. Uh, mine's a cable, so I'm going through cable. And Katie, you are on yep, cable going, as well. Going, you're going through cable, um, even though you told them to stick it with respect to your your TV. You still want the internet from them.
0: I had to. There's 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 no fiber option here. Um, yeah. So it's cable or DSL. But All right. so, and so
1: then, th- go ahead.
0: Once you once you get it in the house, um, most people hop into some kind of router. Um, a lot of listeners to this podcast I know probably use the Apple Airport, one of those varieties or things like that. But uh, what if you're in a wired house? where you've you've got connections in your closet you've got things like that i mean i was just counting up the ports that i have and it's it's over a dozen so i i mean i've got a i've got a switch in a closet somewhere that i'm using to connect all of this stuff but you know let's just talk about staging and setting that up because you know apple is is woefully uh short on the number of um of ports that they give you if you go with an apple router you're you're only going to get is it three one one WAN and three LAN ports. Um, others you may do a little bit better. You may get four or five or six, but that's that's likely not going to be enough for most people.
1: Paying two hundred dollars for a router and I get three uh, Ethernet ports. Yep. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I never understood that. I mean, it seems like Apple could put a few more on the back of that thing. Um. Uh. And and I I want to talk about Katie's question, but I think even just logically, staying at the router for a second. Uh, is it worth it to buy an, an Apple Airport router versus something that's less expensive?
2: For my money, it is. I, I will tell you that the Apple's current model, Airport Extreme, will outperform most enterprise-grade wireless access points that cost $1,000 on pure speed. Obviously, feature-wise, you know, enterprise-grade uh, access points do much more. But if you're looking for just pure speed, The simplest, you know, setup, it's worth it, in my opinion. Um, Long gone are the days of going to Walmart and buying the $30 router and expecting it to work well. You know, we we have, you know, I I think I mentioned in an article I did recently that I have, think, 10 to 12 devices on at any given time. Why would I, you know, buy a Nest, buy iPads, buy, um, you know, nice iPhones, and then put them on a terrible router?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, like you, had bought uh, some third party routers over the years. And, you know, I used to have all these issues where, like, every, you know, couple hours it would just stop working. And we'd have to go and reset it. And by resetting it, I mean unplug it, count to 30, and plug it back in. And it was just a thing. And I finally got fed up with it. And I spent the money to buy an Apple router, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I've never looked back.
2: Yeah, I, you know one of the things if you if you're not going to get an 11ac router, which is you know 802.11ac, which is the current wireless standard. Let's say you don't want to get that one, but you can get one of the older model Apple Airport Extremes that was just 11 in. Um, make sure you get uh, a dual band router no matter what you do. Now what dual band is is on wireless, there are two kind of bands. There's 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. Um, you, know, you want you know, a modern one's going to be dual band, and that basically gives you more capacity uh, because you can have devices on 2.4 or 5 gigahertz. Now, uh, all of the current um, Apple laptops and desktops on the market support 11 AC. None of their handheld devices do currently. I suspect that's going to change this year. It seems like that's going to, you know, the rumors I've heard. And Please note, just this episode
0: was recorded on September 2nd. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably bet pretty good money that 11AC will be in every iOS device this year if you look at kind of Apple's track record. yeah. Um, but again, you know, 11AC, I would get just for kind of more future-proofing. Uh, it is faster and it kind of, uh, it has bad, better capacity. And uh, no, it is um, it is backwards compatible with all your 11 in devices. So if you do have... Um, if your spouse has an old iPhone that is just on 11 n, they'll certainly be able to connect fine. Um, but again, not that Apple makes the only good ones. I think my advice to you is don't get one that costs $30. I think honestly, you need to be spending $80 or up for a pretty good router. And it's not just about, you know, there are obviously the, the annoying reboots, but there's a lot of technology in wi Wi-Fi that allows devices to work better that, you know, they call it dynamic airtime scheduling where, uh, devices kind of can can talk a little bit faster to each other and not be slowed down by a slower device. Uh, there's just a lot of things going on in the air with wireless for all its simplicity. It's a rather complicated technology and it, but it's powering all the great devices
1: we have in the home. So don't go cheap. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Bradley's analogy, you could have, you know, you could have 12 different people try to run through the door at once, or you could have them go through in an orderly fashion and, a better router is going to help your devices do that. Um, one of the things we kind of kind of glossed over is the you know the the router speeds. Like AC is the the new standard, and that's going to be a much faster speed than an in speed router. Um, I know there's more to it than that, but I guess at the most basic level, and before that, there was was A, B, and G, I believe, were the predecessors. And frankly, there's still some stuff floating out there on those older speeds. And if you've got a device that's running the older speed, um, that can create a bottleneck for your network. I think this is probably a pretty good time to explain why I didn't go
2: gigabit. Um, so 11n, you'll see data rates of about 300 megs on your fastest devices. So my uh, like uh, in my current laptop, I'm, I can I have a MacBook Air, and I my data rate is 300 megs. Now, I am not, that's uh, my data rate. That's actually not the speed I'm going to be using. So data rate is basically, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the OSI model. It's the Open Systems Interconnection Model. It's basically kind of like the scientific communication standard. Well, the data rate actually happens on a different level on that than your application. So your data rate may be 300 megs, but Netflix is not going to work at, you know, 300 megs, nor, nor does it really need to. Um, the the uh, throughput speed, like if you have a 300 meg data rate, your throughput speed will probably be anywhere from 120 to 150 megs. So if you've got like a, you know, a wireless G connection that was a 54 meg data rate, you're not going to see 54 megs on the transfer. It's going to be, you know, half that or less. And so the only devices I have in my home that are wired are my Roku's. Well, most of the streaming set-top boxes don't have gigabit ports. They're all 100-meg ports. Uh, I think uh, the Amazon Fire is 100-meg. Apple TV is 100-meg. The Roku is. Most of these things are 100-meg. Um, none, of, none of my current devices are um, uh, 11 AC, so they're stuck at 11n speeds. So there's nothing. there's no way I could take advantage of gigabit speed other than the fact that I could go plug into my router with my laptop and do a speed test and tweet about it. That would be the only thing I could tell. Um okay, because I, even my, I need to back it.
1: up for a minute. So so Roku Roku only have they don't have a gigabit Ethernet port in the back? They don't need to. There's nothing that you can do
2: that saturate that unless you like ripped if you ripped a Blu-ray into like some giant, ginormous uh, disk size, maybe you could saturate it. But you know, you gotta think Netflix, like 1080p Netflix, I think is under 10 megs. Because, really? Yeah. It's well, most people, most people, like, what's the average internet connection? You know, they can't, they can't put out movies that require 50 meg speeds. Now, I know with our ISP, there's actually a Netflix cache at their uh, network operations center. So when, like, when I'm doing Netflix, it's never even hitting the live internet. Same thing with YouTube. They actually have, they get dumps nightly from Google and from Netflix of any new content, and that's a win-win for everybody because yeah. I get really fast speeds. My ISP doesn't have to buy bandwidth. And then Netflix and YouTube don't have to pay bandwidth to come, you know, to send it. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Netflix, you know, if I don't think I think 1080p is like four to eight megs.
1: um, I just assumed it was much higher than that.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's we can thank great compression technology. But if it wasn't for this great compression technology, Netflix couldn't work as well as it does because people you just couldn't have it.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit more um, about wireless. I've got a few more questions for you about wireless. But before we go there, David, why don't we take a quick break and you tell us about our next sponsor.
1: I'm happy to Katie Floyd, and that is lynda.com. lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A. Uh, So lynda.com helps you learn and keep up to date with your software and pick up brand new skills and explore new hobbies with their easy-to-follow video tutorials. You just log on, and they've got, Hundreds of videos about just about any subject you want, whether it's business development or learning how to drive software or how to program a computer, they've got it there. If you want to get tips on the latest online tools or learn how to use Photoshop, you can do it there. Lynda.com has thousands of video courses in a variety of topics. In fact, there's over 2,400 courses taught by industry experts, and there's more added every week. I love getting that email from Linda, by the way, that tells me what's new that week because. I really, it's, To me, it's entertainment. I sit and watch the videos all the time. Uh, they work directly with the software companies, so they can provide timely training, and often the same day, new v- versions or releases hit the market, so you're always right up to speed. And they've got courses for all experience levels. If you just want to barely start learning how to programming, or if you're an advanced programmer and you want to get a master course in something, they've probably got something there for you. It's all done for one price of $25 a month. You don't have to pay per video. You just pay 25 bucks a month and you can consume as much video content as you can make time to watch. And you get the whole library. So um, what do you think is great about Lynda.com? Um, there's lots of stuff out there for you. Uh, I've got a queue, Katie, that I go through and I'm always looking at stuff lately. I've been on a typography binge. So I went back and uh, I watched some typography shows. I'm also thinking about you know getting a little bit more into programming so i've been doing javascript and i'm waiting for them to hit me with some of the stuff that apple's got coming so i'm going to play with that when it comes out um i also like the business stuff in there they've got some really great stuff in there about uh just basic business skills that you know you wouldn't think of when you first think of linda but man they've really expanded the library a lot um they've got uh, ipad for business is done by uh, i think that one was by chris breen who's been on our show before And they've got some stuff on Google Docs and Sheets. So if you want to get good at Google Docs, that's another one I've been watching. So anyway, all courses are produced at the highest quality. They're not like homemade videos on YouTube. You can watch right from your computer, your tablet, or your mobile device. And the courses are broken down into bite-sized pieces. So whether you have 15 minutes or 15 hours, you can learn at your own pace and on your own terms. If you get a premium plan, you can download project files and you can practice along with the instructor. Courses are structured so you can learn from start to finish or jump right in the middle. That's all great. Uh, with a premium membership, also with an annual plan, you can download the courses. So if you spend a lot of time on airplanes or you're disconnected from the Internet, you should check that one out. Uh, we've talked to Linda. They like our show. They want to support it. So they've got a great deal for our listeners. Uh, if you go to lynda.com, lynda.com, slash users, you can get a free seven-day trial. It's not a limited trial. You can do the whole library. In fact, if you can consume the whole library in seven days, they're all for it. I don't think you could. I I don't think you could either, but you could try. Uh, So go check it out. I guarantee you, if if you like this kind of thing, once you get in, you see the quality of these productions, you're probably going to subscribe. I've been a subscriber for years, and I really enjoy it. Check it out, lynda.com slash Mac Power Users. And thank you, Linda, for supporting the show.
0: So Bradley, I have a I have a couple of questions specifically about eight hundred two eleven AC, and I know we've been through various iterations of of Wi-Fi technology, and eight hundred two eleven N has been with us it, it seems like for a while now. And then, um, you know, you you recommended dual band, and then we got the dual bound routers, and then we got the routers that could you know do simultaneous. And uh, is it MIMO multiple in multiple out technology? I'm maybe getting that wrong.
2: That'll be yeah, that, the the multi-user MIMO is s- supposedly coming in Wave Two of Eleven AC, which right. should be out next year. Um, but yeah, we're still we're still waiting on that. And what that'll do, you know, we talked earlier that Wi-Fi is a shared medium. Multi-user MIMO, if it comes the way they're predicting, will basically get us closer to wireless switching, where you know if like you plug into wired Ethernet, the switch can kind of handle more of the handoff and the managing of traffic the multi-user MIMO with wave two of 11 AC gets us closer to that. Now, again, I mentioned that the spec is out next year. Uh, That doesn't mean devices will be out. I mean, I think we've had, Uh, 11 ac devices and technology available for a few years now but we're still getting we still have 11 in iPhones, so it may be 2016 even 2017 before we have devices that support it yeah it's it's going to be there's no reason to wait on moving to 11 ac in the home at this point Uh, if if you're up for a new router just go ahead and get get what's out
0: see that was my question to you because my my router now is about six years old uh It was, I believe, one of the very first Apple uh, 802.11n dual routers, which, you know, has been out of the market for a while. Um, And... I I think that part of my internet connectivity issues that I've been having recently have been related to some flakiness of that router, some signs that 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 router may be giving up the ghost. And I have been I've been kind of hobbling it along and trying to keep it along, thinking, oh no, the the new eight hundred two eleven AC routers. I keep hearing that there's something better coming out with that new MIMO technology. But now you're saying it's it's, and I, and I won't hold you to this. Although if they come out right after I buy the new one, I'm I'm coming for you. Um, <laughs> so, but. Um, so that was basically my question: Is is this a good time as any to go ahead and buy that new router if you if you need it?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you've got uh, you know, if you've got a router that's six years old, go ahead and get on Amazon and get the eleven uh, AC Apple router. I think they have it for one eighty four. We're on Apple's website; it's one ninety nine. I've yeah. got two of them in my home. Apple's actually starting to uh,
0: sell some refurbs, though.
2: Oh yeah, well they even even better. Yeah, it's it's such a great router. You can manage it from an iOS device. And there's an article I did over on the suite setup that actually talks about how to use the airport utility on iOS to kind of gain some idea of how your connections are using some of the information uh, like the acronyms RSSI and data rate about how to understand, like, you know, at this point in your house, your iPhone shows this data rate. What does that tell you? What does that mean to you? What does that mean for the Apple TV that's in that room? Um, again, our, our Apple's routers are premium. They are, but they're great. And now, you know, you gotta understand why Apple puts good money into the routers. Because if your internet is bad, you know, most people think that their iPhone or their iPad is bad. But that's not the case. So, like, you know, for you know, it's it's your you know, could easily be your wireless and not the device. Uh, and so, like, when we actually call Apple, we you know I spend about a hundred grand with Apple every few years at work uh, buying Macs and iPads. The first question they ask us is about our infrastructure. They want to know, like, what do you guys have for your wireless? What's, what kind of switches do you have? How is your cabling? Because they know that if a deployment goes bad because of the infrastructure, it makes Apple look bad. So they're actually keenly concerned about those things on the front end. And so they, that's why they make such great routers is because that's part of the, the, the iOS and Mac experience.
1: Hey, uh, real quickly, on a little side note, uh, I know this is much more expensive than an Apple router, but have you got any experience with the Cisco Meraki routers? I have. I I tested those internally uh, when we were deploying our
2: network a few years ago. We use a company called Arrowhive. Uh, just a little bit of disclosure, like they do sponsor my podcast, but I was a user of them years ago. Um I don't like Meraki's technology. They use, um, and again, a lot of this doesn't necessarily matter. This is more matter. enterprise stuff, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, this doesn't matter in the home. But they have, uh, in the enterprise, there are these things called controllers. So, like, if you get a Ruckus or an Aruba system, most of them have a controller that is basically required for the network to work. Now, the data doesn't necessarily flow through there. But all you they have these things in wireless called the control plane, the management plane, and the data plane. So the uh, management plane and the control plane on those controller-based systems has to funnel back to that controller. The data plane doesn't. But the problem is that's a single point of failure and a bottleneck. Well, Meraki doesn't have a controller on site. They actually have one in the cloud. And your data is not funneling to the cloud. But you know, let's say you have a captive web portal uh, on your network or, you know, in enterprise networks, the access points have to do a little bit more of what they call RF management to kind of not bleed over onto each other. All that stuff happens in the cloud. Well, that seems fine, but what if you're in a situation like Katie where your internet's a little flaky? What does that do to your network? Yeah. I, you know, Arrowhive's technology uh, is what they call controller-less, and so everything actually happens on the device, but there is still a single management system, so I can log into a, um, a web Interface and manage my entire network. Uh, now I use their hosted version of that. They have an on-site version, but the cool thing about that is, is if like that data center blows up, my devices don't change at all. Everything is happening locally on the device. So Meraki, they're fine. I, it's not what I would buy, but there are obviously plenty of customers that use them. Obviously, Cisco bought them a few years ago for a few billion dollars, so the, they're not you know a terrible solution. Um, now I'll say this: if you um, if you go on Apple's online store, they're actually an Arrowhive reseller. Um, and so like in the enterprise and in schools, Apple kind of recommends two, two companies to help your uh, deployment. It's Arrowhive for wireless and Jamf software for uh, MDM. I know they sponsor your podcast and they've sponsored mine in the past. Uh, great company, but that's kind of like when Apple goes around pitching their products to schools, those are the companies that come with them. Um, and, I, and I you know, like I said earlier, Apple... Apple is interested in making your network work so your deployments work better, so you can buy more iPads in the future. Um again, all of them are great companies, but you know, JAMP and Aerohive are the two companies that Apple recommends. Um, and they're the two companies that I use internally, and they're absolutely fantastic.
1: And the reason I ask is we've got some feedback from listeners in the past about that, about those Meraki devices, and I really just really didn't know that much about them. But but staying at the home. Uh so let's say uh someone listening to us is said, all right, I I believe you guys. I'm going to go buy an an Apple uh, router. And they get home and they realize that it's got three ports in the back that they can plug things into and that they have five interesting internet-connected things that need that, that connection. What do we do?
2: Get on Amazon and buy a
1: gigabit five port switch. They yeah. can be had for $20 or less depending yeah. on the deals. And um, that that's what I did too. I mean, when I, once I started, you know, cause I have been, the internet of things has arrived at the sparks house. I mean, I've got light bulbs and I've got, uh, you know, I've got security system stuff. I've got a whole bunch of internet connected things in my house now. And so many, so many that I had to get into another device. And, and I didn't buy a fancy one. I just got a gigabit speed. I think it, mine ended up with six ports on the back of it. I got off Amazon. It had. I found one with a five-star review that I think it ended up costing me something like $35. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, it's for me, it's not even just about having available ports back at the networking closet. You know, I think I'm looking, I'm in our, uh, our playroom right now. I've got, uh, you know, multiple devices connected to televisions that, you know, yeah, I have an Apple airport up here as well. But if I didn't, this would be a perfect place for a switch. Because, you know, certainly I'm I'm very fortunate to have Ethernet to every room. But most people certainly aren't going to have multiple Ethernet drops to a single room. So the switch is a great thing to do there. And you really won't notice any speed loss. As long as you get a good one. And I always recommend a gigabit because it's just not very much more. Yeah.
0: I, my, Katie, are you, my setup uh, are you using so, a switch? I am. My setup's a little bit different. Um, I, I have my house is wired and... I I did not wire it enough, but I've got uh, two drops in just about every bedroom, three in I think the master, and three in my home office, and um, I think I have four or five drops in my living room. And you would think that that would be enough, but it wasn't. But anyway, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not <laughs> enough.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Um, and all of these drops um, terminate or originate, depending on how you want to think about it. I guess they originate in in a in a closet. A, you can call it a utility closet or a a, a networking closet. Uh, closet's a bad word. It, it actually looks like a, a breaker box. Um, in my uh, laundry room where the cable connection comes in, the ethernet connections all terminate there. So inside that box is actually where my cable modem is kept. And then I have a gigabit switch inside that box where all of these ports connect to. Now um, thinking ahead a little bit, it doesn't make sense for me to put my wireless router inside a metal box inside my laundry room. That would not be optimal for, you know, transmission or optimally located. So I actually lost two of those ports in my laundry room because one of the runs had to come out to the LAN port um, into my uh, wireless uh, in, into my Apple Airport, and then immediately I had to use another port. Uh, you know, one of those ports had to come in from my uh, from my uh, from my cable modem into the WAN port, and then of course one of them had to go back back out to the to the network. So I lost two of those ports in there. But for the most so part, so okay. Let me just
1: slow, slow you down there. So basically, yeah. you're saying you've, you centrally located your router.
0: Centrally, lo- yeah. The router the router is in the living room, which is where so I had most run- of the reports. Right.
1: And from your closet, you've run a line into it and then back out of it.
0: Right, which then connects to the gig switch, with the, which then connects to w- which all, the others. all of the other rooms in the house. And so now I only have... A couple of additional, po- I don't even know, I'd have to count and figure out how those ports are. But if you think about the devices that I have in my living room that are connected, I've got an internet connected TV, I've got a TiVo, I've got an Apple TV, I've got a DVD player that has um, an ethernet port on it. There's more, hang on.
1: What for? What does a DVD player need it for?
0: Uh, originally, it was one of the few devices where I could get Amazon, but now my TV has Amazon, so I really don't need any anymore. Okay. In fact, I could probably just completely disconnect it.
1: And, and the reason you're doing the big, the circle to your router is because it's also your firewall.
0: Right. Well, but it's it's it is it's also the thing that's managing my network. It's the thing that's assigning DHCP yeah. addresses yeah. to everything. Yeah,
2: right. Gotcha. Um, and, and a lot of people say when they say, look at what do those signals look like? Um, you know, it, it's really kind of imagining a donut going out of your router. That's what it's doing. It's not like a line going here and there. And that's really one of the reasons that Apple's current routers built the way it is, is because they're trying to optimize that signal. You know, it's it's interesting, Katie, you mentioned the metal box because that's really important with Wi-Fi is kind of what it has to travel through. Um, you know, like if it has to go through a concrete wall, it's going to do a lot of damage to the signal strength. You know, drywall is not terrible. Windows are not terrible. But the more of those things it has to go through, the worse the signal is. Uh, You know, when we mentioned 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz earlier, um, like 5 gigahertz is a much better band. It's much cleaner. There's more um, there's more kind of options to connect, but it's it's attenuated more by by, you know, things in the wall and distance. Um, And so that's just 2.4 actually penetrates walls better. So that's one of the things you have to think about with router location is. Where will be we be using these uh devices, like what part of our house, and then what does it have to travel through? If you've got metal studs in your wall, that's gonna impact your Wi-Fi connection.
0: Even- yeah, I
1: was thinking about that. And they they use those a lot these days. Although not so much in a residential.
2: Well, you know, in in at work, it's Wi-Fi is kind of a nightmare, especially if you're in a, a like a multi-unit office dwelling. Um just because on two point four gigahertz, there are only you know, three channels that don't overlap. So if you look at your router, you've got one, six and 11. Um, those are the only three. Now, five gigahertz, there's going to have 19 to 23, depending on your country and depending on how close you live to the airport. Um, I know that's kind of random to think about, but it's actually part of it. There's a lot of controversy around those, um, those channels near airports. And so, gigahertz kind of has a place in the home, but it's really getting harder to use in the workplace because what you end up with is what's called co-channel interference. Where you've got if you've got too many devices trying to talk on channel one, uh, you're going to see a lot of a lot of interference.
1: Yeah, and that that was always a problem with the 2.4 gigahertz. And they at one point, what was it? I think there were 12 channels listed. Did I get that right? And but. They were really, they were so much overlap that if you had one on channel one and one on channel two, you were effectively in the same space. Uh,
0: 11, one, six, and 11.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: That's where you
1: want uh, to But now with the five gigahertz, you've got a little more, you've got a little more breathing room between channels. Um, We we sidetracked ourselves again, though. So So we've got the switches that is the next device you need to add. And then the next device in the network is the cable itself. And we throw around terms. We've been talking in this show so far today, just we've been calling it Ethernet cable. We haven't said Cat5 and Cat6. Can you talk a little bit, Bradley, about the differences between the types of cabling you can run? Yeah, really, most things you're going to see in the residential
2: now are Cat5e and Cat6. Cat6 is what I have in my home. And if you're running new cable, that's probably what I'd recommend uh, it's going to be more future proof, where both Cat 5e and Cat 6 can do gigabit speeds. Um, Cat 6 will probably be able to go further in the future. When you look at you know who knows what's coming, Cat 5e can do gigabit transfers as long as it's about 330 feet or less. Now in the home, that's probably going to cover you, but you know Cat 6 is certainly costs a little bit more to buy. But if when you're running Ethernet, the money is in your labor. So, just go ahead and spend the extra money to get cat six to be more future proof the The cable looks exactly the same. The main difference is on the inside of the cable um they call them pairs they're twisted a little bit tighter and so it can go faster somehow uh, yeah, but again yeah. the the ends look the same and everything
1: and there's another cat in it that's true um uh so so that's it really you've got. that's it It, he says after an hour of talking Uh, you've got the cable coming in you've got it going through a router or a box a fiber box or something then you've got an ethernet coming out that you want to put into a router and we think you should get the apple router for your home and then from there you may need to get an extra switch if you've got more devices than you have um, ports for them and then you need to get some good cable running
2: fair enough yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll throw out one recommendation on an app that I really recommend that if you really want to kind of get nerdy with this, it's called uh, Insider. Uh, it's a $20 app. Don't, they have an App Store version, but don't get that one because it's not as fee- fully featured, even though it's a little bit cheaper. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, but like it's a great tool and it'll help you visualize your network. And so it'll even show like interference you have on certain channels. So, like if you're in a place that, Maybe you are an apartment complex or a condo facility and you you feel like, you know, you click on your wireless network, you see 30 down there. It'll help you isolate, you know, what channels have the least amount of interference. It's a tool that I use at work when uh, you're know, troubleshooting, but like it's since it's only $20, it's a great app to have you know in your tool chest.
1: And it's an app for your Mac.
2: Correct. Yeah, yeah. I would do uh, just about anything to have this for the uh, iPhone or the iPad. They have it for Android uh, and it works very well. It's just that. Apple doesn't allow access to the Wi-Fi radio as a, as a you know in the APIs, yeah. and so until they do that, there's just no way to make it. Uh, that was one of the things that I was really hoping for this year, but maybe next year.
1: All right, so I think we've done a pretty good job of describing a wired network, and then when we talked about the router, we glossed over a little bit about what the router is doing in addition to signing DHCP and splitting into various uh, Ethernet cables, and also a lot of times is a wireless, you know, base station. And it's, it's producing the wireless signal that allows all your, your devices to get attached that aren't connected by copper. And, um, and that's, that's the next part of this discussion, I think. Uh, should we do an ad spot first, Katie, or do you want to just dive right in?
0: No, let's take a quick break. I think we need a break after that. Um, and I want to talk about the Omni Group. And specifically, I want to talk about Omni Outliner, which is an app that I have been using extensively over the last three weeks. Because you remember, David, I said, boy, I wish I could go back to school and be a student now, because how cool would it be to have Omni Outliner as a student?
1: I do, Katie Floyd.
0: Well, I'm kind of regretting the going back to school part just a little bit now that I'm (laughs) understanding the level of work involved. But one of the things that I am not regretting at all um, is Having Omni Outliner as my outlining tool of choice as a student, because in school, the way that I always took notes in class is I always took notes in outlines. And back in the dark ages, the way that I would do this is I would just open up a Microsoft Word document and use the outlining feature in Word and do it that way. But that is like using um, stone tablets and chisels compared to the functionality that's built into Omni Outliner.
1: Yeah, in my day, I had to use a shovel and a piece of coal. It was terrible.
0: Yeah. So, what Omni Outliner will let you do is just store and collect and organize all of the information that you're accumulating. Um, they'll get you started with a bunch of built-in themes that you can then customize on your own. Um, but you can either do, depending on your style, some people do very detailed outlines. So you could write entire novels in Omni Outliner if that's what you wanted, or you could just go bullet by bullet, point by point. Um, it is incredibly feature rich. Um, and I like it because it is so easy to keep your, your thoughts and your documents organized within Omni Outliner. Um, I can just take outlined notes and then when there are areas that I need to add an example or perhaps the professor expounds upon in class, I open up the little note field and I can type right in the note field with an Omni Outliner and add notes. Uh, there's also options within an Omni Outliner to highlight and annotate and call attention to things. So if something's really really important, uh, I can highlight it right there within my notes. I can also make audio recordings. So if he's going over something in class and uh, I'm, I'm taking notes about that, I can I can drop in an audio clip to uh, annotate my notes with that as well. Uh, sometimes uh, I sketch things in class, and I'm still working on testing some styluses. But right now I do this with pen and paper, and then I'll either uh, snap a picture of it with my iPhone or run it through a scanner, and I can drop that into Omni Outliner as well. Um, And then when I'm seeing too much detail or when I need to focus onto something, I just close little triangles and I focus on just exactly what I need. I just have amazing control over the structure of these outlines. And what has been really nice is now you can sync all of these outlines uh, with OmniPresence, which is Omni's own built from the ground up syncing solution. So I've installed OmniPresence. OmniPresence is absolutely free to use and to sign up for an Omni syncing account. And now I can have my outlines um, on my computer at the office, because sometimes I'll stay late and we'll do work at the office when it's nice and quiet, or I'll go in early, uh, as well as on my uh, laptop that I'm using while I'm taking notes. So I pop open my laptop, I'm taking notes in class, everything is wired now, so you're always on the network. Save it, close it. My computer is still in my bag in the trunk of my car, and yet if I have some time after work at the office, I can just open up because those documents have already synced over. Uh, it, it's just. It can't even tell you. Oh, and the iPad. I didn't even talk about the iPad. They also sync over to the iPad. So if I want to just work on my iPad, sometimes it helps just to get out and I go outside and I take the iPad with me. If I want to review my notes or just read and take notes. There's a version for that, too, and it all syncs together. So you can grab Omni Outliner. The regular version is $50. If you want some additional features of the Pro version, it's only $100. Uh, And the iPad version is $30. And, you know, people complain that, oh, you know, $30, $150 for an outlining app. Believe me, worth every penny and then some for the type of control. If you're using this for outlining, if you're using this for note-taking, I cannot tell you enough how much this has changed my game. And the best part about it is that Omni will let you try it before you buy it. They've got free trials available on their website and a very simple refund policy. If it doesn't work, if you don't like it, tell them. They'll give you your money back, even on iOS apps. So go check them out over at omnigroup.com, download the free trials, see if it works for you, and thanks to Omni for their support of the show.
1: Yeah, and you know, something about Omni Group is they spent a tremendous amount of man hours making that omnipresence thing work. I mean, they wanted to have a really great syncing system. They don't charge you for that. They just they just wanted their their apps to be amazing anyway. Um, so getting back to the wireless. So so the wireless component of it, we've danced around. We've we've said a couple things already in the show. First thing we said was that there's different wireless speeds, and right now the the you know, the up-and-comers AC. Although, is it AX that they're already talking about? I believe it's oh, the next no. one after that. Isn't that right, Bradley? I, I've not heard of I've not kind of studied what's past it, Wave
2: 2 of 11AC. Um, you know, what? I think we're, what we're going to start running into is battery life problems. And that's the reason we really haven't seen AC in any Apple iOS devices, because those things are so battery-hungry, or they have been in the past. Of course, we saw that with... Um, LTE, Apple was about a year later than most people. And they were, um, we didn't get five gigahertz iPhones until the iPhone 5. You know, the iPhone 4S was still 2.4 only. Um, So it's just, it's been interesting to watch Apple. I was going
1: to mention that earlier. Apple has always been very aggressive in the new standards and their routing devices. Like they were some of the first ones to go to N, even before it was a fully accepted standard of memory serves. And I believe they were very early in the race to get a router out with AC in it. But in both instances, their their actual devices, their computers and their I, iOS devices, they've always been a little slower. And I think battery life is what that's all about, is they're waiting until the chip designers get those new radios designed in a way that don't become massive battery hogs.
0: Uh,
2: and in reality, you know, if I hand you the iPhone six in three months and assuming it has 11 AC and I, you know, and I, you know, give you my iPhone five on the same, you know, average connection, they're both going to work the same. Uh, you're yeah. not going to day to day notice a big difference. Especially
1: um, if you're not, if you don't live in Bradley's neighborhood and don't have super fast internet.
2: Well, well, exactly. I mean, for most people, the bottleneck is not internally. It's externally. It's their bandwidth coming into their house. Um, you know, but obviously when you're doing things like uh, file sharing over the local network, 11AC will, will matter. I mean, there are times when, um, I don't know if you guys have ever like, used Thunderbolt a whole lot, but when you transfer files using Thunderbolt, you feel like you're in the future because you'll transfer nine gigs and what usually feels like about 900 megs. Yeah. Um, and so that obviously 11AC will help with that regardless of your internet connection. But I think for most people... They're not even, you know, I don't know that my wife would know how to mount uh, the drive of another Mac, you know, over onto her computer remotely. Yeah. I and mean, she just, you know, if her you know, file transfers for most people is Dropbox.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I would notice it because I'm using my Drobo 5N all the time. But but that's that's just me. Um, so, but I guess the, the takeaway for this is if AC is probably where you want to be at this point, if you've got a router that's, that's an N-speed router, you're probably fine. If you've got a router that's lower like the G or, or forbid something earlier than that, it's definitely time to buy a new router. And I think that's something that people forget about when they're maintaining their home networks. Is You may upgrade your computer every two or three years, but like Katie, you may have a six-year-old router or an even older router.
2: Well, and, and really, even if you've got an older 11n, uh, I would think it's, go ahead and, you know, it's time to upgrade because 11n... You started seeing, um, you know, the stand, it became a standard, like a finalized standard in 2009, but devices started coming out in 2007. I don't know if you guys remember the MacBook, I guess it was either 07 or 08, where it came with 11 n as a chip, but you actually had to buy an enabler for $2 from Apple to enable the 11 n speed. I don't know if you guys
1: remember yeah, that. I, rem- it was I do very, remember that. It's very weird. I, um, it, it felt very unApple to me. I, I there must have been a reason for it, but I always heard it was something with the accounting Sarbanes, um, lawyers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lawyers, yeah, exactly.
2: But you know, if you've got a, an 11 in router that you bought in 2007, 2008, even 2009, like it's, it's probably time to upgrade because technology, even within the standard, has gotten better. And they, you know, they again, you've got the dual band, um, you've got the uh, you know, get more antennas, and so again, don't I'm trying to think of a good analogy. I always try to think of car analogies, but um you know don't don't you know spend all this money on devices and then never never upgrade that router um it, you know it'd be kind of like uh you know having all these buying all these
1: fancy televisions but they're not having h d service you know what what's really the point well i I can tell you my hang up is that i I've got an in speed router that's working okay and it's got this hard drive inside of it that's backing up everybody's computers. And replacing that is not going to be a couple hundred bucks. Oh, see, and this is why I hate the Time Capsule. I'm
0: yeah. I'm over that. Uh, and and David, you should be too because there yeah. are other solutions now for the Time I just Capsule. I need to do it to
1: the Drobo. You That's just need that, to do. And know. and
0: knowing that my 802 um, 11n Time Capsule was was getting a little yeah. I am. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it per se, but I just I knew that the next. I started about six months ago backing up to the Drobo, and it's been so much better, I think. It's been faster than backing up to the Time Capsule. I can't quite tell you why. I don't know if it's the networking or, or whatever it is. Um, that I, I knew then, gosh, I just saved myself a couple hundred bucks because now I don't have to buy the, uh, the Time Capsule. I can just buy the, the Airport Extreme. In fact, I'm at Apple.com right now buying a refurb.
1: Well, see, and, I, the, the other thing is I don't have any devices in my house on AC. I don't either. (laughs) I don't either. Uh, Yeah.
2: And I think you'll see now, you know, we kind of, we've never mentioned this term uh, on this episode, but they call it the Internet of Things, uh, where it's, you know, it's the Nest and it's your cameras. Uh, I think it'll be a while before you see those on 11AC because the Nest, for example, it's still 2.4 gigahertz. And I think that's what that band will be used for. I call it the junk band. So all of our kind of uh, production devices will move to five gigahertz. But you know the uh, 2.4 band might be for your nest or your internet connected uh, uh, picture frame, things like that,
1: um, or my bathroom scale,
2: or your. There's another um, one. Inter- inter- internet enabled faucet. You could hit a button; it'll turn it on, yeah. set it to the correct temperature.
1: Yeah, um, uh, it's a joke. If we need if we need that, then we've gone too far. <laughs> but but so so you've got you know, the speed question, then, then the next question I, on a wireless network is the channel question. And it's partly dependent on, you know, what, where you're at on a 2.4. Uh, it's, as Katie said, it was a one, six and 11 are basically the three channels you can pick. If you're on a five, if you're on a, um, uh, if you're on a, okay, I'm going to screw this up. So if you're on 2.4, there's three that you can choose among 12 bands or is it 11 bands?
2: You've got 11, you've got one, six and 11, but those are the only three that don't overlap. So two overlaps with one. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, again, if you live out, you know, like we live in a neighborhood that has 33 homes. When I open up my, um, uh, I click on the SSI or the Wi-Fi symbol on my Mac, I see my network and uh, one other person currently right now. If now I'm on the other side of my house, I don't see anybody. So for me, that's not a huge issue. Cause even if they were on the same channel, the other one is so weak it doesn't matter. But if you live in an apartment or you live in a condo facility or you know again your office has, you know, multiple networks and multiple companies in there, that's where those things get a little bit more tricky, especially on two point four gigahertz. Um yeah. then
1: when you move up to five point four, then you've got a lot more options.
2: You do, yeah, because you've got uh what you know, on five you've got nineteen to twenty three depending on what country you're in. But here's the problem with apples is you cannot cut off the 2.4 radio. Um, and so like my enterprise-grade routers, for example, that I have from Arrowhive, you can actually go in there and say, turn off this 2.4 radio, and forces the clients to go to 5 gigahertz. But what you can do on Apple's router, let's say you do live in an apartment and you know 2.4 is just junk, you can actually create a separate 5 gigahertz network. So my network now is just one SSID. It's just, it's just chambers, and so it has both of my routers, Working together, I roam between the two, you know, seamlessly. My devices never know. I can be downloading something or uploading something and walk across the house, and it, it just stays connected. Um, but, um, but I just had a, I just uh, completely lost my train of thought.
0: But but well, you I'm have gonna, you uh, have two. I'm going to stick with that for a minute. You have two separate networks. You have a you have a Chambers five gigahertz and a Chambers two point four gigahertz.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's right. Thank you for jogging my memory. Yeah. I don't. I have one single one because I don't have uh, any issues with channel interference. But if you did live in an ap- apartment and you did have main, you know, if you had devices that were all five gigahertz, you can create a separate five gigahertz network uh, network in Apple's router and then only connect to that one. So you'd have two. You'd have, you know, Katie Floyd and then Katie Floyd five gigahertz. But you could just tell your iPad well, just connect to this one, uh, yeah. and that's and that's one thing I haven't mentioned is every iPad can do five gigahertz, even back to the iPad one.
0: Now that's interesting whether, now is that, is that the best practice only if you're having issues with interference? Cause I used to believe that I used to always have a five gigahertz and a 2.4 gigahertz network. And I would switch back and forth on them. And then I was listening to um, Dave Hamilton on the Mac Geekab podcast. And he had an interview, I think it was at WWDC. I'd have to go back and try to find it um, with Alf. Alf Watts, or Al Watts, a couple of years ago, the guy who did iStumbler, um, and said, no, no, this guy actually worked for Apple for a long period of time, who actually designed this hardware, let the hardware manage it, um, you know, create one network, your, your Mac is smart enough to know whether to connect to the five or whether to connect to the two and a half, depending on the, or the 2.4, depending on the circumstances.
2: Yeah, that's correct. You know, in ideal circumstances, you just don't worry about it. And like I said, I've just got one network. Um, but if you have, you know, Apple's router doesn't have what they call band steering, and so I, on my enterprise-grade stuff, I can kind of massage clients to five gigahertz. I can say just move over here and and not respond on the two point four gigahertz band for you know three or four seconds. So but if you are in a situation where, you know, 2.4 is terrible, you know, again, like an apartment or a condo, you can just create that five gigahertz network and then only ever let your devices connect to that, because otherwise you're not going to know. Sometimes it may be on 2.4. Sometimes it may be on five gigahertz. And how you can tell that on the Mac is if you option click the, the Wi-Fi icon, it'll actually tell you what
1: channel it's on. Yeah, if you option click, click a lot of this stuff in the menu bar, you get a lot more information than you normally would.
2: And on the Airport Utility on iOS, uh, it's not as um, kind of obvious. But what you you know, if you click on your if you click on your router, you actually go to there's a there's a section uh, called Wireless Clients. You just click on one of your devices, and you click on the Connection tab. It'll say Mode, and if it says eight hundred two point eleven a slash n or a slash n slash a c, that means five gigahertz. And how you know that is Wireless A and then wireless AC are only five gigahertz. And so if it says uh, BGN, you know, that's 2.4 gigahertz.
1: The, um, and it also tells you, um, I believe under the, um, if you do the option click, it tells you the gigahertz. Let me see. Yes, it does. It tells you what channel you're on too. Um, the, um, what I was talking to a guy, uh, also someone who's kind of on the inside at the apple into the stuff and what he was saying to me was that the device the way it's designed is going to be pointing your your the router is going to be pointing your devices at a at a at a um, bandwidth based on signal strength not necessarily speed and they kind of assume that signal strength is going to be the fastest when it not necessarily is that's correct because again if you have things like co
2: channel interference That's just, you know, the devices ultimately make the decision on what access point to connect to and what band to connect to. Um, And, you know, you can do things in the routers to try to help that. You know, one of the tricks that we do at work is if we're having issues with devices with roaming, so kind of moving from an access point to another one, maybe they're trying to hang on to one. Uh, we may lower the signal strength of it where it doesn't reach as far. And those are kind of the tricks you have to do at work where you, we have 40 access points in our building. So it's not as simple as just kind of plugging it up and letting it ride. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's a very complicated technology, especially because since it is a shared environment and it's in the air, you do kind of have to manage that. And, and it's really, I'm thankful that I don't live in a, an area where it's very dense and I don't, we're the first house in the neighborhood, so I only
1: have somebody on one side of me. So I really don't have to worry about the uh, interference too much. Yeah. the um, And, and on this point, I think it, it, listening to this, it can sound extremely complicated, but there are a few things you can do without having to become a professional at this. And one of them is to use an application like iStumbler or Wi-Fi Explorer. And there, there's a ver- variety of these out there. That will do a little bit of analysis for you and it will, you know, it'll sniff the air around your house and it'll tell you the local networks and it'll see if there's any that are, you know, that are causing problems for you. Like if your next door neighbor and you are both on channel 11 of a 2.4 gigahertz radio, you're going to have interference and it allows you to kind of see the lay of the land and then make choices in your own network that kind of avoid problems. Yeah, because the default in most of those channel
2: selections in the routers is just automatic, and you let the router decide, and that works in most situations. Um, but again, if you've got neighbors and you see, well, this neighbor is on channel one, and this neighbor is on channel eleven on two point four. Well, you know, based on what we've said about overlapping channels, channel six is the one for you, and you don't want it to you know, be an automatic selection.
1: And you can force it in the software.
2: Yes. And. Uh, uh, now you know one of the things I think we kind of failed to mention earlier when talking about uh, you know speeds is uh, the Apple TV the wireless card in it is is a 65 meg data rate,
1: so it's it's definitely an old Wi-Fi card at this point. Yeah, I didn't know that either. See, I'm learning all sorts of things. Uh, and Apple Apple TV
2: hardware uh, when it comes to networking you know, that that's a that's kind of an old Wi-Fi um, uh, speed because you, again if you think 65 meg data rate. It's certainly kind of cutting that in half, but I guess if it works, I mean, again, Netflix is not running at 30 megs, so I guess it still works, but it'd it'd be nice to see them bump that up to at least, uh, you know, a a dual radio.
1: Um, so what, is there any apps that you recommend for someone at home that wants to check out, you know, network interference on their wireless? Like I said, the one
2: I mentioned earlier, Insider, is the one that I I okay. absolutely think is fantastic. Again, it's only if it was a hundred dollars, it'd be hard to recommend for the home. But at twenty dollars, it's just it's just a great app, um, and it's very simple to use. And again, don't get the App Store version; go to the website and get the kind of the full version. And if you really want to get fancy, you can actually buy these kind of external antennas, and they can you know kind of but you can build heat maps of your home. And I don't know that anybody would want to do that.
1: Okay, so let's say that you've got a, a, a bigger home and you've got the one Wi-Fi uh, location in your house, which is great. Like a lot of times this is an upstairs-downstairs thing where you've got great Wi-Fi downstairs and you happen to have your router downstairs. But then you get upstairs and you get kind of into some extremes of the home and the Wi-Fi starts cutting out. Um, what's a good way to solve that problem?
2: Well, it's just what I've done is I have a second Apple router. And you basically put that one into what's called bridge mode where it is where it doesn't do DHCP and it's just broadcasting the same network name and devices just roam between the two. And so it'll can obviously connect to the one that has, uh, the best signal strength at the time. And Apple makes this really, really easy to set up. Now it can do what's called meshing where you can actually link them wirelessly and that works in theory, but it's just not going to be as fast and reliable. Um, you know where you can actually link them uh, over the air, and it can kind of boost the signal and let it go further. But if you can get a wire to it, that's obviously more uh, ideal for long term solutions.
1: Yeah, and they—I think they don't call it bridge mode. They call it um, don't don't they, have, don't they have an even simpler name for it?
0: Well, they they call bridge mode is I think what you're supposed to call it. But I've seen some places call it access point mode.
2: No. Yeah that it, that that's the yeah that's that's what I always thought it should be was access point mode. It's basically because you've got – inside of a router, you've got really a few things. You've got an access point, you've got a switch, and then you've got a DHCP server. And what you're doing in in the, the second one is you're just using the switch and the access point and turning off the DHCP server because you obviously don't want two DHCP servers on your network.
1: Yeah, and this is a good place for a compromise. If you don't want to run copper throughout your house, but it's just driving you crazy that you can't get the internet upstairs – uh pay an electrician or somebody to come in and run a wire you know from the upstairs to the downstairs and then you've got one ethernet drop uh you know going upstairs and you could set up a bridge mode router upstairs or in the at the other side of the concrete wall or wherever your problem is and that will greatly improve the internet in your home yeah i think this is really important in ranch
2: style homes as well so let's say You've got the Internet comes in on one side of the house. Well, it's a long home. That signal is going to get really attenuated as it goes through all that drywall. But hopefully you have a crawl space. You can run a you know, Cat6 or Cat5e cable under the house, You know, add you a port in, in the wall, and you know, plug up another access point. Um, I think that's just, again, like like you said, David, if you don't want to run Cat5 or Cat6 to every television, every room, just having two access points will free up a lot of bandwidth.
1: All right. I want to talk about how we're putting all this to to practice in our own homes. But before I do, I want to cover our last sponsor, and that's Fujitsu. Uh, Fujitsu makes the premier scanners for the Mac. And frankly, just about any computer you can put on a desk. We just started a a new employee at our law office today, and I was teaching her how we do paperless in our system. And one of the big pieces of it is capturing the paper as we go in the office and as soon as I said, well, you need to scan everything, and she, she looked at me and kind of groaned because the place she worked at before had this big, fancy, expensive machine that had a terrible user interface. And it just took a lot of time to scan the simplest document. And I just flipped up the Fujitsu scan snap on her desk, and I pushed the blue button, and she was amazed. And that's the experience that everybody has when they start using these scan snaps. They're amazing little scanners that don't take up a big footprint, but just do the job. Uh, The iX500 is the big one these days. It's full duplex. It can take 50 sheets at one time, and it's USB 3, so it runs really fast. It can do 25 pages per minute. So you can put a stack of paper in that thing, push one button, and it'll scan directly to your computer. Uh, It's also got a radio in it, so you can scan wirelessly even to your iOS devices. It's got an advanced paper feeding system. So if it catches two pages, it actually realizes it and tells you, you know, so it's got the separation roller technology is what they call it. They've got even more scanning options. So you can have scan, snap, saved to a specific folder or to Evernote or whatever your place in the cloud is that you want to store your documents. They'll do it for you. If you want to go a step below that, it's the S1300i. It's a little more portable, but it still has a sheet feeder and it can do 12 pages per minute. Now, both the iX500 and the 1300i have the two-side scanner. So when you put one piece of paper through it's going to scan both sides of it at one time. And then uh, if you want to get something even more portable, they like the 1100, it's a thing that will fit in your briefcase or your purse. And, uh, it's a very portable scanner. Uh, all this comes with a great Fujitsu ScanSnap software, which includes things like optical character recognition, Um, just, it's just a fantastic application suite that works exactly right with these scanners. I've been using them for years. I love them. I've got my whole paper list system on them. I've recommended them to so many people over the years, not just off the podcast, but just friends and family and everybody who gets one just absolutely loves it. If you've been struggling with managing how to get your paper into digital bits, there's no better solution than the Fujitsu ScanSnaps. Go out and check it out. Get yourself one and you won't regret it. Thanks, Fujitsu, for sponsoring the show. Oh, also, there's a link, of course. <laughs> it's slash uh, SSMPU. So that's easy.com scan snap Mac power users. So SSMPU. Uh, uh, thank you, Fujitsu, once again, and everybody enjoy your scan snaps.
0: You know, I realize that we've been going now for almost an hour and a half, and we have not spoken hardly at all about security. Do do people get that now? Is it just a thing that we don't have to talk about anymore? Well,
2: I mean, it's it's we pretty much s- settled on WPA2 for the home. Um, you you want to avoid what they call WEP WEP that can be cracked very quickly. Uh, Eli, my in laws live on about ten acres, so I don't even have a passcode on their network. It, you know, if you if you're that far out, it doesn't really matter. Uh, choose a good passcode uh, for your for your. Obviously for your WPA2 passcode, but remember you're going to have to type this in on your Nest, on your Roku. Things that don't have one password built in, so make it something that you can at least remember. MAC filtering is pretty useless. Um, you know, like you, where you only allow certain MAC addresses on your network; those are okay.
1: easily spoofed. Um, okay, so, so slow down there, Bradley. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, it's a, all right. So the, the 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 main security you've been talking about is wireless security. So. Uh, Wep was the original well, not the original but one of the the uh, originating uh, security protocols and as i've been told a 12 year old can crack that in about 30 seconds with the right software.
2: Yeah, it's it's it, there was a reason that was deprecated. I mean yeah. no one no one would recommend that for any
1: you you might as well just not even have it. And then and then so then we've we've come to WPA2 which has been a thing for actually quite a long time now. And I guess it's still secure, more or less. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not been really
2: cracked like WEP was. You know, again, there are things you do in the enterprise that are certainly more secure, like 802.1x, and where you authenticate authenticate with your Active Directory credentials. But for the home, WPA2 is still perfect. That's what you know. Most of your uh, set top boxes support My Nest supports it. The Dropcam yeah. supports it. Yeah, it's just kind of the standard for the home.
1: Okay, and now now. When you talk about Mac filtering it, on, on our show, a lot of people are going to know what that means. And a lot of people will get confused because uh, Mac filtering isn't what you might think it is. Correct. It's capital M-A-C. So that's why you'll the see Mac people. The only time
0: it's correct to use capital M-A-C.
2: That's, and that's why you'll see Mac people like shake their head in agony when people type Apple Macintosh with capital M-A-C. So it's Mac stands for Media Access Control Address. So like if you. um,
1: It's like a uh, VIN number for your device.
2: Yeah. And like every uh, every company kind of has their scheme. These are like there's some sort of standards body that hands these out. And if you want to know what your um, like iPhones is, you can go to general about and uh, it's called Wi-Fi address. So like mine's 8438 and it's got a bunch of numbers. Well, you can turn it on where you, you kind of whitelist addresses. Yeah. So that, but... was a,
1: that was a thing a while ago. It was like, okay, I'm going to set up my network. So only David's iPhone, Katie's iPad, Daisy's Mac, whatever can be seen by this network and no other Mac address will be allowed in. And they thought, well, that was a type of security, but there's a problem. Yeah, it can
2: be pretty easily spoofed, and people can figure it out. And there were a few episodes of Hypercritical where they discussed this. I remember the first one was where John was talking about getting his Wii uh, on the network, and he couldn't find the MAC address. Uh, it wasn't on the box anywhere. And then I think plenty of people wrote in, talked, talked to him about why MAC filtering, you know, wasn't good. And I think there was a follow up episode. But yeah, it's if you have WPA2 and a decent passcode. That's not your biggest concern. You're probably your bigger concern is like someone with a Windows computer coming onto your network and and spitting out viruses or, you know, someone kicking in your door and grabbing a hard drive. Those are probably more concerns for you. Yeah.
0: Now, what okay. about, you know, we've got these de- what about not not wireless security? But just security from the outside world, you know, there was this big problem, no, not big problem, but, you know, there was a concern with synologies that were vulnerable for some period of time. Um, you know, I've, I've got this Drobo that's plugged into my network. Do, do I have to be worried about even if my devices are wired, plugging them into my network that uh, someone from some foreign country or even right down the street is going to be accessing all my stuff?
2: Well, if you make these things available to the outside world, then then yes, um, we've been having kind of a, a battle at work with our HVAC system. You know, I've often said that people that make hardware don't always make good software, and so the interface for our heating and air system is this terrible Java interface. Well, every time Java has a big update, it breaks. Like the the you know the clients update the new newest version of Java. Well, the thing stops working. So, the the people have said to me, well, why don't you stop updating Java? And like that's not a, that's not a solution. Like these things are, have security issues that we have to patch. You need to patch that. I mean, this is how people get hacked: is they have systems like that that remain unpatched. These these heating and air systems. I even think that that's how Target got hacked was through was through their heating and air system. So, you know, that's just that's just kind of the you know the world we're in. The best advice I can give to you is to keep your firmware up to date. Uh, if you've got a Dropcam or you've got a Nest or you've got a Synology or you've got a Drobo. Always make sure you're, you're kind of staying up to date on those firmware updates because they have security patches for a reason. But, again, on something like the Synology, if you don't open it up to the outside world and it's only available on your own network, you probably don't
1: have a problem. Um, so let's talk about um, how we've done this in our own homes. I think we need to start with Bradley. It's um, we've cat six to all TV
2: locations, and I have um, three Roku's in our house. So my our, our living room, our uh, playroom, and then my son my oldest son's bedroom has a wired Roku. Now on the our porch outside in the screening porch is a wireless uh, Roku three. I did have a streaming stick out there, but I ended up replacing that with a Roku 3 just because it was the streaming stick wasn't as fast. Um, not the Internet, but just like the processor wasn't as fast. And so I ended up replacing it with a Roku 3. I do have two Apple 11AC routers. There's one upstairs and one downstairs. Uh, the, you know, the first one, uh, the second one is hardwired back into the first one. And everything is plug, you know kind of pulled back to a punch panel in the downstairs closet. And that's where my Internet line comes in uh, as well. In there is a Netgear Gigabit switch because again I've got um, in my networking closet I've got in the Apple Airport Extreme that I have more than three Cat six drops. But also in there uh, I've got an old laptop that's my Plex server that I want to hardwire as well because I you know don't want I you know I have that library share with a few friends and I can access it offsite as well. And I certainly don't want 1080p video. Uh, you know, being you know, streamed out to the internet over Wi Fi. Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the things that's actually really nice is like when my oldest son goes and stays at his grandmother's house, uh, he takes his iPad. Well, he has he has our Plex library. Well, since I have a hundred meg upload, he can stream whatever he can. You know, watch the Lego Movie in full 1080p. Yeah,
1: the only problem is Grandma's Wi Fi. Then at that point,
2: well, I, she has also has the hundred meg internet connection, oh, okay. and then she's got one of the last eleven in. Airport Extreme routers. So and that's that's actually one thing I, I meant to mention. The last Airport Extreme that was eleven n from Apple that was the old style. That one could do a simultaneous five gigahertz and two point four. Anything before that required five gigahertz to be a separate network.
1: Okay, I didn't know I'm that. Not,
2: yeah, it's it's. I don't know. That was one of the features of that final. 11N model was simultaneous dual band. I don't know why it wasn't always that way, but I had the one I had before this current 11AC was the you know, next to last um, 11N Airport Extreme and yeah, And it was kind of frustrating because you didn't, you didn't have having multiple networks. You had one for your 2.4 only and one for your five. And so it just kind of seemed, you know, more clutter when I didn't need
1: it. Wow. Now, so now you've, you have officially cost me money. Thanks. Well,
2: well, uh, it's payback for all the money you've
1: cost me over the years <laughs> okay. listening to this show. Right.
0: Um, refurb um, store, David.
1: <laughs> How much are well, they on the refurb uh, store, Katie Floyd?
0: One sixty nine. I just bought one.
1: All right, that's not
0: bad. Yeah.
2: So I've got four Roku's, one Nest thermostat. Uh, we have two laptops, two iPhones, and three iPads. So that's kind of my that's kind of my network currently. But uh, you know, it's really really happy with it. You know, I. I'll probably keep this for these Apple routers for two or three years when we start seeing wave two of 11 AC actually coming to devices, not when the, you know, the routers just come out, but when we actually seeing, you know, like a, a an iPhone or iPads, you know, update to it, I, that's when I'll probably up, you know, upgrade. I think anywhere from three to four years is a safe time to upgrade your network.
1: You guys are going to shame me because I don't have anything nearly as fancy. I've, I've got a, a... Like I said, I've got this super, you know, speed, which is like half of what Bradley gets coming in to my internet through my, my cable system. And I just have a, you know, simple airport, you know, ex- well, I have the time machine actually, but with the, it, it, it's dual radios, it's in, but it's definitely not the last iteration of it. This is, I don't know, probably about three years old now. And, um and from there, I've got it going into a Netgear switch, and I've got all sorts of devices plugged into it. I have been using an airport express that as a, um, in bridge mode. And I also have that connected to a Sonos and I've actually named the airport express Sonos on my network. So we can easily use airport. Uh, I'm sorry. We can easily use airplay to get to the Sonos system from our various devices, which is probably a whole nother conversation. We've already gone an hour and a half, but, um, Uh, you know, my, my system is not that complex. As I was saying the words earlier, I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to have to pay somebody to, to run a cable to my upstairs. I have a small house, you know, my house is only like 1500 square feet. So we we're pretty good on wireless, but I think if I had a wired connection upstairs, that would be nice.
2: Well, I think you make a great point. It all depends on your house size because, you know, you know, depending on like if you live in the, you know, downtown Atlanta or downtown Miami or, downtown San Francisco, you probably don't, you don't, you, the houses just aren't as big just because the, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a city. So if you live if you're in a more rural area, you're probably going to have a bigger house because it you know, cost per square foot is less. So you'll probably, you may need more than one access point. Again, it, it just, it all depends. And, you know, at work, we pay people to come in and then we give them our blueprints and they do these big site surveys for us. You certainly don't do that for the home. So the best thing is to like, start with one. And if you like it, then that's great, just keep it like that. But if you feel like well, this is slower than it should be, one beat maybe add on something and see how it works. How about you, Katie?
0: Well, we kind of went through mine earlier, but the abbreviated version of it is I've got a cable internet connection. I think it's 25 currently, although we're due for a speed boost. Everything comes into a a single networking closet that's in my laundry room or a single networking panel in my laundry room. And then from there, it goes to about a four, about a six year old. Apple time capsule router that I've already purchased its replacement tonight. Uh, and then it goes to various wired drops throughout my house. And things that I have plugged into those wire drops, I've, I've got uh, two TiVos, two Apple TVs, and those are both wired in both rooms. And then I've got the Mac Mini, uh, and then a couple of other internet connected devices like smart TVs, DVD players, Blu-ray players, um, things like that. Uh, in the house, I've got uh, my MacBook Air connected to one of those Belkin Thunderbolt docks, so it is now wired, which is a change that I've, I've made recently, David, and I think that's actually our Skype connection has been pretty good this show, so hopefully some of those troubleshooting things that I did helped. And, um, and then I, a lot of wireless things connected. I've got the iPhone, I've got the iPad, I've got the Nest, and then I've got about a half dozen um, Wemo devices you know, spread out between various light switches and plugs
1: bradley what are the most common i think we've covered most of it here on the show but just if someone has lasted this long i want to give them a little last bit what are some of the just real common problems you see that we haven't discussed already with respect to your home network well
2: you know i think the first thing is again like we mentioned uh cheap routers and then, you know, if you've got a router that's flaky and that's, and that's a really frustrating situations because it's not like the router doesn't work, but it's like a situation where it works 70% of the time. They can be very frustrating. Those situations go buy a router at you know Best Buy and see if it fixes it. If it doesn't take it back. Um, one of the things that I think, you know, I would not want to do tech support at our ISP because uh, you know, people say, like, I my iPhone, it does do a speed test on speedtest.net, and it's not as fast as my Mac. Something's wrong with my iPhone. But you've got to understand that different types of devices have different types of Wi-Fi cards. And so you kind of have to do your research and understand, you know, what has what. Where well, the Apple TV's data rate is 65 meg, my MacBook Air can do 300 meg. So understanding what kind of devices you have is very important. But I think most issues with wireless, like we mentioned before, come back to co-channel interference, where you've got too many routers on 2.4 gigahertz Um, with, you know, especially if you live in a subdivision that's got 300 homes, you're going to see a lot of networks and spending the $20 on the insider app or whatever app you want to get and helping you optimize your network, uh, I think is, is probably well worth the money and well worth the time because a flaky network is going to be very frustrating to you. And it's going to be something that you, you know, you don't trust instead of renting that movie from the Apple TV, you're just going to say, well, we'll go to Redbox because we know we won't have to worry about the buffering when the tools are available to help you solve that problem.
1: Yeah. And it could be something as simple as your next door neighbors on the same channel. And that's when
2: you go and, you know, unplug their router.
1: Yeah, that, that, that works, take, too. Just take care <laughs> of it. Or just throw the breaker.
2: Or you could just run uh, or you could give them the passcode to your network and then send send them an invoice every month for the internet. The, no, they're... you should never do
1: that. <laughs> All right, Bradley, thank you so much for uh, for helping us out. I, I think that uh I know I've learned a little bit as we sat here and I hope hopefully the listeners have as well. Uh, where can people find you?
2: I am on Twitter at Bradley Chambers and my website is chambersdaily.com and I co-host a podcast about educational technology. Um, called Out of School with Fraser Spears. We just um, celebrated episode 100 this past week, so that was pretty exciting for us. And you can subscribe to that at outofschool.net or in iTunes.
1: I think we need to get Fraser back. I think that was one of the best episodes of our show ever when Fraser talked about what he was doing. Um, So uh, tell him I'm looking for him.
2: Well, you know, I was pretty embarrassed on show 100 because I had been pronouncing his name wrong for two years. It's Fraser. Right, I, I say Fraser like Kelsey Grammer. I can't do that. It, oh, I know, and he didn't ever right. cor- he didn't correct me because he said that's the way Americans pronounce it. And there was another listener of the show. His name is uh, Fraser Fraser Hess, and he sent me an iMessage one day, and he says, "You know you pronounce his name wrong," and I was completely embarrassed. But it's Fraser. But I, I gave Katie a hard time about that. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like the longest running troll on in, in the internet. You two years, this guy's hosting a podcast with him and he can't pronounce his name right.
1: <laughs> well, either way, it's a great show, especially if you're in education and technology. It's just, it's fantastic. So go check that out. Um, you can find us at MacPowerUsers.com. And uh, on Twitter, we are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. And I'm at Mac Sparky. And uh, you can also find our show notes in addition to at MacPowerusers. I'm sorry, in addition to MacPowerusers.com, you can find them at 5 x slash MPU.
0: And you can also contact us either by clicking the contact link at, at MacPowerusers.com or sending us feedback to feedback at MacPowerusers.com.
1: Thank you to our sponsors, Linda, MacPaw, Omni Group, and Fujitsu, and we will see you all next week.